Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, you can find us at harvesthouse.live. Thank you. 
and this person and that was leading some of his work coaching for Jay Jaden and it really is it really is a, a, a great setting it could be a little dry and so I'm trying to I'm going to try to summarize and, and, and do some of the stuff that I've actually heard people uh, when, when they talk about Renee Girard and I but I want to bring you through his thoughts and where he came up with different theories and how you're going to see as I go through it you're going to be able to see maybe a reflection of the, of the church, maybe your own upbringing or illustrations or your own, your own thought process. And so I'm going to do, do a lot of uh, like reading, and then I, then I want to get into maybe more of a practical applicability of it. And again, I think, I think the Lord for, for this tonight, I think that he's going to speak to you on that applicability of what I have presented. We don't, I, I can't overstate it. I don't know if you, if you realize it or not, whatever it may be, but knowing what I know, I promise you, this is going to make a great testimony for you. So I hope you enjoy it. Praise the Lord. And I, I just tell our, our members, uh, you know, our faith is not in what we do. Our faith is in what God does. And so with that in mind, if we could open up our hearts at least to, to two, knowing that we don't have all the answers. We're not without error. That's what we talk about in there. It's like, you know, there, you know, a lot of people say that the Bible isn't inerrant or without error. Well, the early church would say that's, that's blasphemy. That's the only, the only inerrancy is in the Bible. God is the only inerrant. That's it. Out, anything outside of that is subject to, to scripture and interpretation. So anyway, I'm a little nervous. Gail's watching me and hanging out with her for a few minutes. And I've always had a special love for her and, and, uh, know that if I don't do well, that I'm out. Um, this guy about, this guy named Rene Girard, this is a guy that, that's from California, and he was originally from France, so I'm going to speak up the, probably the first section, I'm actually going to speak in French, because he was French, uh, but <laughs> he's from France, and uh, he was a smart guy, he went to the university, he got his master's degree, he got his doctorate. And early on in his career, back in the 1960s, he was really interested in anthropology, study of how human beings develop. And he gets this simple idea. He notices that human babies, when they're born, are just normal. I think when a ba baby is born, it, it has almost no instinct. It has grasping instinct and sucking instinct and startle reflex, but there isn't much in, in the area of instinct. And he thinks that this is really bad planning. If you look at the animal, a gazelle drops, its, uh, drops from its mother within a few seconds, you know how to handle that and begin to train it. A dolphin, when it, when it has a baby, it immediately begins to prepare. Animals know how to do stuff. And now, Rene's not a religious man at this point. And, and he's a scientist, and he thinks, why did a species develop such helplessness in their baby? And he thinks about this, and he researches, he researches it, and he realizes that sometime in our distant past, some of our brain power got shifted from instinct to imitation. One of the reasons why we are born so helpless is because our brains just got so big that in order to fit down the chute, we had to get born earlier. You know, our brains, they, 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 they uh, what do you call it, not evolve, but they, they kind of, yeah, they do. Hey, I, but hey, listen, let me just pause real quick. I'm used to dialogue when I'm preaching. I, I don't usually get up and, and just preach a message and you don't, 
we're very much into the dialogue, so feel free to, uh, I'm, you probably might want to let it play out a bit, maybe that's the order you want to do it, but um, challenge you, if you have something on your heart, just kind of raise your hand, give me a show of hands, I really would appreciate it, probably most useful on the floor at home, um, but anyways, um, so when we are born, we have these flexible skulls, but the big thing about our brains is that it has the capacity to imitate. I want you to be thinking about that. This is the first big discovery by Roy today. He gets one idea, and he works it his whole life, and the next thing he realizes that it's not that we just learn to imitate behavior, but we learn to imitate desire. For an example, a, a mother's carrying her baby, and, and the mother reaches for a berry to eat. When the baby sees the, the mother reaching for the berry, all of a sudden the baby wants to reach for it. Not to just imitate the, the mother's behavior, but to imitate the mother's desire to have the berry. So he has this theory. This is where he comes up with this theory that this is where lazy comes in. It's not just that the mother says, oh, there's a cat, and the baby says, oh, there's a cat. The baby understands that the mother has a desire to name something, and the baby imitates the desire to name something and begins to say, oh, there's a dog, oh, there's a tree. So this is where this, lang this language thing comes in. Um, the baby takes on language that's not just imitating, but it is the process of imitating desire. And I know this is, sounds a little bit boring, but I promise you it gets more interesting once you follow this train of thought. So then as he develops this theory, uh, our entire economy runs on the imitation of desire. Just turn on the television. You know, just watch people, whatever. Somebody wants a new car. What do they do on the, these advertisements? It's like somebody's going in to buy a car. You know, they can't just show the car. They can't, but, but they see, you know, you see somebody buying it, and, and, or, you know, and then all of a sudden, you want a new car. All of a sudden, it's like you see somebody getting a new phone. They have this desire to get a new phone. All of a sudden, you want to get a new phone. Desire runs our economy. It runs, it runs civilization. But Renee notices something. If I imitate the desire of people around me, and I'm more likely to imitate the desire of people I like, she says this creates a problem. So I'm walking through the woods with, with, with a good friend of mine, and I see this uh, a mango tree. And I think, well, you know, I'd like to build a, a house right by that mango tree. So I, so I walk out the front door, and I open it up. Well, I'm sorry, I walk out the front door, and there's a mango tree. It would be really nice. Now, my, my, my best friend, who never had maybe given a mango a second thought, all of a sudden, he wants to build a house in front of a mango tree. And, and this, and, and Renee, uh, you know, sees this issue, and then he says, you know, there, there's, there could be a problem, you know, especially when, when it comes to say sex. You see it, you see a girl, and and you think, wow, she's beautiful, and, and your and your friend who has never really given her a second look, whatever, all of a sudden he says, well, that looks kind of cute, and all of a sudden, you, you know, you you have this this problem, and Renee says, at this moment, human beings enter into a new state, because I depend on survival but at any moment my com my companion can can become my rival take away my girlfriend or my boyfriend I should take away my mango tree take away what I desire because now we're competitors for the same thing is this starting to make sense and I bet some of us have experienced that in our life it's like especially when you go through school you know and so he says 
Gosh, if you have a group of hunter-gatherers who depend on each other for survival, and you're worried he might steal my, my wife, he may steal my life, he may steal my, my thunder, just, and, and just worried about people taking things from, from us, the people who are companions, people who we, we trust, people who were there, were, were there and we're like, I need to trust them, but all of a sudden, it's like, you know, th- there's, this, there's this anxiety that begins to grow. And we depend on each other, but we aren't sure that we can really trust each other. And so Rene notices patterns of human development around the world, similar patterns. And he develops a theory, and this is really what he got famous for. His theory was that when anxiety levels rise too high in a group, some influential person in the group feels all this anxiety and will pick somebody to bully. For example, I, I start feeling anxious, I, feel, I start feeling nervous, I take the anxiety out on Joel. And, and I start making fun of Joel. I start giving Joel a hard time. I start bullying Joe, Joel, Mr. Osteen, Pastor Osteen. And now, and, now, and now James, all of a sudden, he sees this, and he has, to make, he has to make a decision. Does he defend Joel from me, or does he join me in making fun of Joel? If James, ain't, if James is anxious and afraid, if, 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 if Garrett you know, makes fun of Joel, and I, st- and I stand with Joel, he might start making fun of me too. He might start picking on me. He makes a decision to side with me and joins me in giving Joel a hard time. And then eventually the more of us who gang up on Joel, we all begin to feel united. All of a sudden we're starting to come together. We were worried. We were rivals. Now we're united on our, with our aggre- aggression towards somebody. Now Gerard's theory, th- th- these hunter-gatherer bands Eventually, we killed each other. Um, eventually, we killed this guy because we find we feel better when we when we unite against a common enemy. We vent our aggression. We do something that normally would be unthankful. But but what what do we do? We might kill. We might kill them, kill him, whatever. Or we might just drive him away. After we're done, we begin to feel a little guilty, so we go around and we pat each other on the back. We say, you know, it was for the best. And so we kind of feel a little bit better about ourselves. And now you begin to notice how all of a sudden we're united again. This anxiety is, start, is, is kind of being pushed aside by the act of what we're doing, and we're doing it together. And, and this is a kind of a depressing theory, but Gerard pro- starts proposing this. And they start noticing that human sacrifice is part of culture's style of living. He couldn't have learned it. He couldn't have learned it from each other, and it makes no sense for human beings to do this. So Gerard comes up with this theory: if every once in a while anxieties get to a certain level and we purge them on one individual, eventually, Gail's going to say to the group, "So you know, every year we have to kill somebody, and why don't we just?" kill that person on the autumnal uh, equinox, September 22nd. And let's just do it every year on that day. And we all say, okay, that's a good idea. You know, we can plan for it. We can organize it. Gail, you're in charge of this. And all of a sudden, Gail becomes our priestess. Okay? Uh, And Gerard proposes that the origin of a religion, the management of human sacrifice, and it's not human sacrifice to be mean, it's human sacrifice because the only way we can be united or stay united with with people who we depend on for survival, is by picking on somebody to bully and harm or vent our frustrations so that we can be united, we can realign ourselves. And, and this is kind of a dark theory. Um, and, and then Gerard began to reason. He says, if this continues, maybe 
Gail uh, passes this on to her daughter or, or her son, and, and, they, and they pass it on, and then, and then you know, 500 years later, the great-great-granddaughter might come up to the group and say, you know, hey, for hundreds of years, as long as anyone can remember, we've been doing this on the autumnal equinox, and I have one idea. Maybe we could just kill a cow instead of killing a person. And everybody says, that's a great idea. And they notice that by the act of being involved in this ritual of bloodletting, we get the same effect. Our anxiety is dropping. We're all uniting and, and just we're doing this, and it has the same effect. And now we're not killing any people. We're just engaging in this ritual of bloodletting, and we all begin to feel better. So Gerard writes these articles as he closes these series, and someone comes up to him and says, hey, maybe you should read the Bible. And he reads the Bible, and he comes to the first murder in the Bible, which is only like a few pages in, and he notices two brothers who become rivals, and ha they have, an, act, uh, they have a, uh, a, uh, an argument about sacrifice, and one kills the other, and he says, hey, you know, this is, this is kind of like a bad idea, and he keeps reading a little further, and he comes to the story of Abraham, and he's thinking about killing his son, and, and thinks that God wants him to kill his son, and the last minute there's a substitute of an animal instead of killing the son. And Gerard says, this is my story. This is telling the story in a way of people to remember that we used to kill people, but now we sacrifice animals. And he thinks, wow, this, this is really amazing. He keeps reading, and he comes to the book of Leviticus, and he sees all about animal sacrifices. And he says, there it is. People are being going to reduce their aggressions through these rituals that they share rather, uh, they share with rather than violence. Now he, he's really getting into this Bible. He, he hasn't growing up in a church, and he, so he doesn't really know what to, what to look for. He doesn't really know, you know, sometimes we're taught to look for certain things, and we, and we find it, even though a lot of times it's wrong. But, but he, wasn't, he didn't grow up in the church, and so he begins to see these things. And so Rene gets to, to Hebrew Scriptures, uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, a book called Hosea, and there's a verse in Hosea where it says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. And Renee says, this is ama amazing. These people are saying that the gods or, or God doesn't bluff. God wants people to have compassion on each other. It's compassion that God wants, not bloodletting. And he starts noticing all through the scriptures, he begins to see this. Psalm 51, if what you wanted when I do something wrong was for me to sacrifice, I'd give you a thousand sacrifices. That's not what I really want. What you really want is honesty. You want me to be real truthful in the, in the innermost being. He begins to see this in the Psalms. He gets to Isaiah. Everybody thought God needed blood so God wouldn't be angry. So Isaiah says, I'm sick of all the sacrifices and it makes me want to vomit, literally. That's a quote. What I really want is, uh, is for you to do justice for the widow and the orphan. He gets to Micah. What does the Lord require of you? Does God want 10,000 rams to be sacrificed like God needs blood and sacrifice to get through the week? No. God has told humanity uh, what is good and what he requires. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. He sees this thing on and uh, he, he, sees, he sees this and, and he flips over a few more pages. And, and again, he's not, he's not a Bible guy. So this is all new to Renee. He gets to the gospel and he gets to Matthew chapter 9. And, and with all of that in mind, you, and, and, uh, when you begin to read this, you begin to see something a little bit different. Jesus is traveling around and, and he's just got back to his hometown. And it says this, it, it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, people don't like paying taxes. 
And Rome did kind of a, a, a bad thing. They would get people to be against each other, so they would get the rich to take from the poor. And people didn't like these people. And all of a sudden, you see Jesus sitting here. You see Jesus communing with, with, with these people that the, that the Jews hated. And Jesus says to, to the tax collector, follow me. And, and, you know, here you see Jesus choosing the wrong person. Choosing the, the, the one that, 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 that the church said you, you shouldn't choose. And, and you know, this, if this, is not, this really wouldn't be a, a, good, a, a good thing, especially in that day. So Jesus was having dinner in Matthew's house, which is even worse. Uh, he was hanging out with people like this all the time. You see Jesus, you know, I always like that one saying that, you know, um, it, it's like we would push people, uh, the church likes to push people to the outer edges. And, and I, I like what somebody said, I think Peter Wallace said that if you want to be where God is, go to the bottom. Because that's where God is. There's many, the Bible says many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him, with Jesus and his disciples. So now Jesus and his disciples are mixing with all the, the unsavory characters, hanging out with these people. So when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. This is the only time where Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. When Rene is reading and comes to this, he says, you know, th there it is. This, this is amazing. Jesus is saying that God is a different kind of God than people would have expected. God is a kind of God who wants compassion. And I want to pause here real quick. Because I, this is where I want you to understand something. I, I, you know, I hope I'm not really kind of opening up a, a can of worms here. If you give me permission, but it, it's like the one saying that um, all Scripture that claims to be the Word of God must bow to the Word of God that became flesh. So when we look in the Old Testament and we see certain things, we always have to look at Jesus and see: Does this line up with Jesus? If it doesn't, it's revelation. But it's not revelation of, of God, it's revelation of us. And when you see Jesus, uh, for, you know, saying, don't stop forgiving. Or, you know, it, it's like that, the, uh, the one uh, passage of scripture where it talks about, you know, uh, you know, the people, and, and I'm kind of getting ahead of my message here a little bit. That God, uh, it says, God, you know, God had the people go around, kill all the men, take some of the women for themselves, kill the children, kill the animals. And you, and you see this, and you're like going, and, and, I, and I've heard and read pastors, theologians, that, that, that tries to explain this, of why. It's like, well, you know, they were very idolatrous. idolatrous. Well, then why kill the animals? You know, why, why kill the children? At least you can make, maybe bring them up and, and change the way they think, you know. And, and so you see this, and then all of a sudden you begin to study uh, about the ancient people, uh, you know, and, and how they would think when, and how they were, were you know, led to, to understand or believe that when God would say, go in and take a land, it meant go in and annihilate everybody. And so when they, when, when, when they hear God saying, go in and take the land, even though you read through scripture about God saying, migrate in, in there and, 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 and do it slowly and kind of like, more like Jesus would, would, would do. Uh, you know, they, they hear God saying, go in and just, and just kill everybody and take girls and boys and women. And, you know, and so they, they misunderstood God. And again, that's why Jesus said, listen, you miss, you miss 
who didn't understand God. And here I am in the flesh, here's God in the flesh to, uh, to explain to you, to show you what scripture really means and what, who God really is. We say that more. Um, but God is a kind, kind of God who wants compassion. And we have to stop thinking that God hates everybody except the people who have the right doctrine, the right beliefs, the right rituals. Stop thinking that God loves us and hates us. Start realizing that the goal has, or that God has compassion on everybody, and that's what God is really like. The idea that we have to pick some people and bully them, this is not the way, uh, the, the way God is. God is not a God who you have to appease. God is a God who that's one thing that we talk about in our group, our, our group in Greencastle is that it's like, you know, love, 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 love. And if we're going to err, we're going to err on the side of love. So what does love look like? What, you know, what, 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 you know, what does it mean? And, and, and we talk about, I, I, I like to be redundant. I like to say things over and over because sometimes I've said things probably for the fifth or sixth time and I'm like, wait, I didn't really do it. I've said that before. And I don't know if that's an insult or, or, or what, but, you know, it's just like, you know, you know, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest thing that God can command? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Everything that is within you, love God. And, and, and I like to believe that he paused. And the people are going, God is spirit. God is, how do you know that God is is spirit? How do you, how do you, you know, it's like I walk in and, gives me a number of things and I show him love and and he says and secondly God has to say 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 I'm told that in the original he said seven times seven times he says love your neighbor as yourself how do you love a God who you can't see by your feet and toes and and your hands and you see this all through scripture so the greatest commandment the greatest thing that we can do is, is is to love God but we can't love God unless we love our neighbor we can't love we can't love God unless we have compassion. And, you know, so, you know, this is something that we are like preaching over and over and over. Um, you know, I, I think the real sign of being a follower of Christ isn't baptism, isn't going to church, isn't reading the Bible and saying all the right, right things, but it's when you begin to treat all people the same. It's easy for me to love God. It's hard for me to love some people, and I, and I, I don't know why, sometimes I think I'm doing a Bobby Jones style interview, you know, like, how you like a million bucks, I think I'm doing a Bobby interview, and um, because it works, you know, I'm serious, it's like, I, I, it's, I'll say something about Obama, you know, I bring, and it just amazes me, amazes me, I, you know, I, I, I guess I expect too much from the church, but, you know, it's, it's like, we, we have to learn to have compassion for those that are so different than we have in here. You know, it's like Jones, 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 the Mennonites, the people who torture Christians. He probably had family members that took his own life, and, and they wouldn't just kill you immediately. They would torture you over a long period of time. And I could imagine that Jonah probably had some of his family members that, that you know, that he maybe even witnessed, and, and that God says, go tell them to repent. Go tell them to change the way they think. God, God's like, going, in other words, God's saying, listen, I want, I want to have compassion on you. I want to love on you. And he knows that. 
It seems like you just got, there's no way. I mean, there's, there's just no way. And, and, and I, you know, and, and I, I think the audience would be cheering, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Get away from them. And, and uh, we, we see, you know, it, it, we, we look back and we go, God wants them to know that he wants them to know that the people in that wilderness place are with him. And, and, and again, I would count, I always challenge people. I say, listen, I, I'm not challenging, challenging you to love me. I'm not challenging the love for you to love yourself or, or e- even somebody that goes to another church you really don't know or whatever. But I'm challenging you to, to love the master that, that, that hung there with Jesus. Listen, I want to tell you something. Now, this is going to be blows my head to get away with this, but it is true. You know, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. I believe that with all my heart. I preach it. I just, I, I stand upon it, and, 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 and I, I think it is the truth that will save. I think that anybody who comes to salvation comes to the Father that way. But how God applies that, how God it's, it's, it's God's will. I don't know. I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He is the bridge that everyone that must cross in order to find sa- to have salvation. I believe that. But how God applies that, I don't know. I look at the sheep and the goats. I look at Lazarus. People like to bring that up. But if you look at those, if you look at those two parables, and, and read the parables, the the you know, like I say, the sheep and the goats. What is the correction? What is needed? What is, is the one thing that that they needed to do? in order to find favor with Jesus. One thing. It isn't confession in him. It isn't being baptized. It isn't speaking in tongues. It isn't, it's one thing. It's how they treated the individual who was sick. Did they have compassion? Lazarus, the same thing. It's like, what is, what, you know, what's the correction? Again, pray and ask the Lord. I don't know. I don't know if, if we could really have the answer. I've got my suspicions, but I wonder how God really does that. I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe it with all my heart. But how God judges that on, on I, I see over and over and over about people having compassion and, be, and people being say, saying, I never knew you are the ones that who lack compassion, that lack love. And I, and, and I, I struggle with this a little bit because I, I was in Ghana, and, and we had a, a gentleman that showed up from Lake Christ, probably 14 of them, and he got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You tell me what I'm supposed to do with that. Oh, but, but you know, what about the, the, the lady in church that goes to church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every... Thursday or whatever, or uh, you know, it's like, and 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 they and they they say oh, they have the right beliefs, but then she goes out and lives a, a different life, a, a life of gossip, a life of of you know, it's like like I hate you, and I, I you know, and and you know what 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 do we do with that when, when you have somebody like again? I'm just I'm just throwing this out there. It's like what do you do with like people that way? What do you do with people of compassion of love? Why do all of a sudden we have to think that they have to have the right set of beliefs if 
I believe is idolatry because that's faith in our belief, not faith in Christ. And what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? It means to deny yourself. You see where I'm getting at? I'm not trying to say that, you know, I'm not even trying to create a category of saved and not saved. That's not it. I just know that the Bible, when it talks about, about you know, returning to the dust and the and, and when, it tra- when it talks about those who go to a place called hell, whatever you want to, you know, define that as, it was o- it's always a place of the wicked. I understand. We're, well, I understand about the wicked. That's an easy, that's kind of an easy thing. But when I'm talking about, about we know each other by fruit, I ask myself, what is that fruit? Is it that they go to go and cause certain? <laughs> of course it is. Listen, we, we, we just, I'm just saying we have to be careful because we have these views of God that it's just, it's not healthy. I'm so thankful that you guys are kind of on the same journey as we're, we're on. And, and, and all I'm trying to do is saying we just Jesus Jesus. And people want to shoot you down for that. I, I'm telling you. Because they have these beliefs that sometimes they go, yeah, but Jesus, and it's, it's like when you read that, I desire uh, I don't desire sacrifice. I desire compassion. I always, you know, sometimes when I read it, I always read it like, um, I desire, uh, I desire sacrifice and worthy of compassion. I, you know, it's like we don't want to have, you know, we don't want to be people of compassion. We want to be people of riches. We want to be people of of doctrine. Um, you know, we and 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 so we've created this angry God, and and we we begin to to you know. Um, we begin to have these little groups in our houses of we, you know, we, whatever they are in your group. I mean, here in America, in the Midwest, it's kind of like life squad, you know, or some, something that that's not real. You know, I, I get, I get really upset when I go to the movies and people say, well, I, I, I hate it when people say that too, but it's not because it's real. It's because it's not real. We can't rely on it. And, 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 and I see it. I see it in, in, in those that are in the church that I'm in. And, and so, and I, and I know, you know, it's out there. It's not something that's real. And like I said, we, it's tribalism. And we just go to Joe's and we go someplace else. And we just begin to become members of this church. And that's it. And, but that, uh, that other tribe, you know, and, and so it becomes tribalism. And we just have to be careful about that because we begin to deny ourselves. We begin to, to create these groups of idols. I don't think that God called Abraham um, for the sake of Abraham and his followers. I think that God called Abraham to be Abraham's descendants for the sake of the world. There's a big difference there. And, and, and so it's about others. It's about the world. And I love it when you men talk about an awakening. I, I love it that, um, you know, I believe in a, a, an America. I believe that our country is going to be saved. I believe that, that Jesus Christ is going to return to gather his people and bring them back. You're not taking me. You can't take me. Jesus is God is everywhere. And 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 there and, 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 and matter of fact, you know, the, the, the very thing about breathing, you know, <laughs> is the Hebrew way of saying that that the name of God is the sound of breathing. That 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 you know, Y H W Yohave Elohim. And and I listened to, to, to a rabbi talk about that. And I got that And, 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 and I heard somebody, you know, Beth talk about, 
you know, is, is it, you know, is, is death, you know, can no longer, can you take your last breath, or is it like, no, that's okay, um, or, or is, is being born, is it, is, is, is it, can you just take your place up there, is it like you can go to heaven that way, it's beautiful, we're all connected, and, and God loved the whole, God, God created everybody in his own, in his image, and he's just waiting for you, and I'll tell you why, Look for it. 
Still there, didn't mean that. Um, but uh, uh, in fact, I would, I would, I remember multiple times as my parents were coming home late from Bible school, because that's what you would do. Um, that I would, I pick up the phone and ask my dad, "Hey, can I go to Bible school?" I'd call him back and say, "Hey, can I go to Bible school?" And he would answer it. I remember that because I'd ask him. And I'd hang up on him really fast because we didn't have caller ID back then. That's true. I would if he would answer because I figured if Pastor Phil was still around, I was okay. But um, the thing that's interesting about in, in, in the idea, you mentioned something. You don't know, you said, I don't know how he was, how was that, what was that about. I think one of the clearest depictions you have, and this is not all in the Temple Mount, but one of the clearest um, instructions you have about how we're led in the judgment is we're given the measure of mercy we get.
And so I really don't believe. I've seen men in bedazzled jeans, and I can't think that there's anybody that's actually cool that they saw and knows that they wanted to mimic. So at some point, I, but, um, but that's what mimetic theory is. So what then actually begins to happen, I think they just got up and somehow uh, got themselves and put on their life jackets. But that's another concept. Um, but whenever you look at what mimetic theory does, it then eventually you do the next big wave of what, what Craig was talking about. So let me ask you this. So when the Bible talks about instituting the reign of God, is that, in other words, instituted on Jesus Christ? Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online 
at harvesthouse.live.